You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to spotlight football in Texas with Mickey Spagnola from DallasCowboys.com and John Harris from the Texans broadcast team take you around the league with Peter King from the MMQB and provide your fantasy fix. And Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast today with former Rams wide receiver and Super Bowl champion Isaac Bruce. Isaac, thanks so much for taking the time. How are you today? Hey, I'm good, man. Thanks for saying that. I appreciate it. Uh, We're going to talk a lot about the Hall of Fame, but let's start with your old team. Rams are playing well. Even though they lost to the Eagles on Sunday, it's been a tremendous year in Los Angeles. You're still close to the organization. Why do you think Sean McVay has been so effective in his first year as head coach? Well, I was at the game Sunday, man. It was a great game. The atmosphere was good. Kind of got got your bumps a couple of times, wanted to get out there and play a little bit. But um, I think what Coach McVay has brought is just an air of uh, a new fresh air. He's, he's brought in some creativity with the offense, uh, putting guys in a position to make plays. And, um, you know, it's, it's pretty hard for a defense to predict what's going to happen with us right now. So the running game is tight. And I think uh, he's grooming the quarterback to be, you know, probably one of the elite quarterbacks in the next coming years or so. Isaac, you've had a chance to play with one of your good friends and one of my offensive linemen, Wayne Gandy, out in Pittsburgh. And, Yes, you started sir. your career off with Big G, and uh, you know that's what we call him. And and you've right. seen this organization evolve uh, from the time yeah. in which you you played with this organization in L.A. to going to St. Louis, being the greatest show on turf, uh, to now looking at them playing the way they are. Do they have enough in their arsenal uh, to be able to Ooh. produce those types of wins that can help them get into the Super Bowl? Ooh, uh, great question, man. You know, Big G took me down to my very first Iron Bowl a couple weeks ago. And, um, you know, just, you know, talking about the arsenal, man, I think, you, you know, we, we have a, a pretty good stable of guys right now, guys who, uh, who's, who's played a lot of downs, played a lot of games in the NFL, uh, starting with the new left tackle that we have. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be up to uh, guys like him to really start to groom these guys and let them know what playoff football is about. And, and, and playoff football doesn't start when you hit the playoffs. It starts – you know, weeks ahead of time, probably, you know, these last couple of games, because you, you want to be playing uh, in the postseason. These games have to be very significant in December, like the one we got coming up this weekend. It's, it's, it's very important that we go uh, make the defense that we have travel, make the running game travel, and win an important game on a team against a team that's going to be really waiting on you. Isaac Bruce is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Isaac, as we're looking ahead to that marquee matchup coming up, the Rams on the road in Seattle on Sunday. I'll take you back to the first game in Southern California. You'll recall the Rams had five turnovers, still almost won that game. What's it going to take to break through, come up with a signature road victory, and how do you think they can slow down Russell Wilson, who's been phenomenal this year? Well, you know what? Russell Wilson is my MVP of the league, man. I mean, this guy is, I mean, he's just everything to that organization right now offensively, and uh, I think we, when we play against them, we do a pretty good job. But definitely, you can't go there and turn the football over there. I mean, they they capitalize on turnovers like like no other team does in the league. But you know, especially with Russell Wilson, you don't want to give him any opportunities uh, to have another shot at you. He's definitely a guy that you don't want to have him. You know, uh, towards the end of the game with the ball in his hand. So um, I would go up with if I were on the team now with the Rams, I'd go up with the mindset of you know this game does not have to be close. Um, I'd love to go up and win by 14 points, but knowing who we're going up against and what's at stake, it's, it's going to be one of those grind-out games. And, and uh, we got to prove to not only the, Seattle, the Seahawks, but prove to ourselves that we can win games like that. Isaac, your game that you played uh, while playing the National Football League, watching it from afar and, and having a chance to see you guys play championships, it, it's timeless. I mean, it's similar to what we see from players like the Dez Bryant in his heyday. He's kind of slowing up just a little bit, but like he is far as the, the electricity brought to the game to the Odell Beckhams. But even though you're a Rams man, I know you watched that guy, Antonio Brown, do oh, his yeah. thing and how great he's played. Tell me, how good is he as a receiver to see him at his size, to be able to consistently put up the numbers he's putting in week in and week out and be the go-to guy even in double coverage? 
Well, I'll, I'll tell you, Cordell, um, I, I'm not really big on uh, catches. Um, I think, you know, a lot of guys can, can, can go out and catch a lot of passes, albeit from screens, throwing it behind the line of scrimmage. I'm not knocking it, but I'm, I'm more bigger. I'm bigger on the production after you get the ball in your hand. This guy's been amazing, man. Just the numbers that he has put up uh, with his yards after the catch. I mean, he has the he's the complete package. He can take the top off the defense. Uh, he's a guy who commands double team, like you said, but but can still get open. Um, this, this guy has everything from the route running ability. Uh, you can tell that he studies the game games well. He's very knowledgeable on what's happening in front of him, front of him as far as the defense is concerned. And the guy is still producing big numbers. So. Um, if there if there was never an MVP uh, at a wide receiver position, I think he he'll be the first one. And uh, why not this year? I think he's proven over the longevity of what he's done that he can be the MVP. He's proven to be the MVP of the Pittsburgh Steelers right now. Chatting with Isaac Bruce on the NFL on TuneIn. Isaac, let's talk about Canton, Ohio. As I mentioned, Cordell and I both believe undeniably you are a Hall of Famer. So does a Hall of Famer and your old Rams teammate Orlando Pace, who was on the show a few (laughs) weeks ago. How have you approached the entire Hall of Fame process? Because now it's beyond your control. Well, I mean, it's a part of, of, you know, uh, what I dreamed. I mean, it's a part of one of my goals that I set. When I came into the league, I mean, I wanted to be a Super Bowl champion. I wanted to be a pro bowler. But at the same time, I wanted to be, end up in Canton uh, with a gold jacket. So it, 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 it's part of it. It worked, it worked, you know, perfectly, you know, the way I'd imagine it. So, you know, like you said, I, I, there's nothing else I can do. I mean, I can't, um, you know, go back on the field. really don't want to. I squeeze it all out of me. But um, just, just being able to uh, be in the room where your body of work is being scrutinized it's humbling. I mean, you have you have guys that uh, have have taken this journey before me. Um, they're coaching me up, telling me how to think, how to believe, and I'm I'm taking that in. And you know, I believe this year will be the year. I think I think it will be unique in this in this sense, where this will be the first year where multiple receivers go in. I mean, you said something that I thought was really profound uh, when you talked about the Rams and me asking about them going to the Super Bowl. You said. You know, you can't wait till you get to the playoffs to play playoff football. You have to start it right now. My question to you is because you're in the Hall of Fame, it's just not official. Have you gotten yourself psychologically prepared to give your speech when that time comes? Well, I have bits and parts of that speech already written. And uh, it's it's (laughs) about practicing it. You know, know, the imagination that God gave us, man, is so so important. You know, it previews life's coming attractions. So um, there there are times when – I'm just uh, visualizing, seeing myself, you know, you know, taking the tarp off my, my bus or putting on my coat. Or even mm-hmm. last year, I practiced, you know, David Baker coming to my door and pounding on my door. So we practiced that, my wife and I. So, you know, it's all about the power of uh, the imagination that we have. And uh, as you know, Cordell, man, it's, it's, it's more mental than physical mm-hmm. as far as football is concerned. Yep. But you can use those principles that we learn in other aspects of life. Let's wrap it up with your Isaac Bruce Foundation doing tremendous work. What can you tell us about the unique Flight 300 program to help fund transportation for college-bound students to actually make it to their campus? Because that's something you dealt with, right? Absolutely, man. It's funny. Uh, as, we, as we're speaking right now, I'm standing across the street from my junior college in Los Angeles, California, where I attended my freshman year. And, uh, you know, I grew up in South Florida, uh, a Florida kid, played Florida football, but when it time, got time for me to come to college, you know, we, my parents, they just didn't have the funds to purchase a plane ticket, to purchase a bus ticket to get me uh, to, my, to, to Los Angeles at that time. And, uh, you know, fortunately, that money, that money came about. I was able to start my career here, right here at college, at West L.A. College, and, and ended up at Santa Monica City College. And um, I felt like once I got in a position to do the same, and it's amazing how, you know, um, the, the market for that just opened up. I mean, people don't understand that most kids or most students don't have the funds to purchase travel. And not only that, to have to purchase bedding for their dorm rooms and things of that nature. So through the Isaac Bruce Foundation, we kind of started facilitating that need. And, and it's been going well. It's growing every year. Uh, for those who want to help help me with that, they can always go to my website, IsaacBruce.org, and donate. We're always receiving donations, and we're much appreciative. Hey, Isaac, I just want to say, man, you know, it's – it's amazing how you, you have to go through the patient process every time you do something, right? And 
And here it is again. You're having to sit back and wait. And I know the wife, by you guys practicing when the door is knocked on and, and, and putting on that jacket, she's giving you a congratulatory conversation. I'll just be the first uh, player, former player, to tell you congratulations on that jacket, man. I just want to say it ahead of time so that once you get it and you see me, you'd be like, hey, man, Cordell, I appreciate you saying it, <laughs> telling me for the first time amongst anyone else that said it. So congratulations ahead, ahead of time, bro. I appreciate it, Slash. Thank you, man. Yeah, bro. Thank you, Isaac. We enjoyed the conversation. Happy holidays. All right, man. Y'all be good. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Experience the excitement of the NFL as it happens with NFL First and Goal, exclusively on TuneIn Premium. From week one to week 17, jump in and out of the action every Sunday with Nick Ferguson and me taking you from game to game. We'll have home calls as teams are threatening to score. Fake it to block. Brady tosses. Touchdown! Hear every big play. Hear every game-winning drop. Is a touchdown. Catch NFL first and goal every Sunday starting at 1 Eastern only on TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, we're joined by Peter King from the MMQB. Now, it's time for 2010 National Sports Writer of the Year, Peter King from MMQB on the NFL on TuneIn. Peter, as always, we appreciate the time. Let's start in Philadelphia. Nobody expects Nick Foles to play as well as Carson Wentz did, but considering the talent the Eagles still have on both sides of the football, what kind of impact do you think they have in the postseason with Foles as a starting quarterback? You know, the toughest thing for him, I think, Brian, is going to be that uh, if you look at the field in the NFC, even if they win home field, and I still think they will because their schedule is very manageable, Giants, Oakland, and Dallas. Um, and basically, I think they win two out of three, and they're going to win home field. But, but I, think, I think here's the biggest thing. You pick out, like, two of the four teams that I'm going to name. You know, New Orleans, the Rams, Minnesota, uh, and, uh, and, 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 you know, and maybe Carolina. But you pick out two of the four really good teams behind them in the NFC, and they're going to have to beat two of those teams to get to the Super Bowl. And, again, I like Nick Foles as a backup quarterback. The, you know, and he had one really good year in the NFL. But I'll tell you, in, if, if we're talking about backup quarterbacks who come in and are playing well, I mean, Case Keenum is that guy this year. So if, if I'm Philadelphia, I'm nervous, but I also think that I'm going to be playing from a position of strength with home field. You brought up a name uh, that I've been barking for a while now, and that's Case Keenum. Tell me, that loss they had against Carolina, was that an uncharacteristic loss, especially for that defense, giving up two big runs and a touchdown to Funches that was just a broken play that Cam Newton did a phenomenal job of completing? Hey, look, you know, the way I look at, the way I look at Cam Newton, I mean, you know, he is never going to be a pretty uh, or a uh, – he, he, he's never going to lead the league in completion percentage, you know. But he made a 61-yard run coming off a, a read option. And, and, again, look, a quarterback in Cordell, you know this. You experience this. A quarterback in the NFL does not want to make a living with his legs because Tom Brady didn't play till 40 by running eight times a game. And Drew Brees didn't play till 39 and Carson Palmer till 37 or whatever he is. I think the very, very important thing is that you don't want to make it a habit, but when you need to, and that was desperate times for the Carolina Panthers on Sunday. And, and, and look, I think even if Brett Hundley plays on Sunday, this is a tough, tough game for, for Carolina to win uh, because Hundley is not just keeping the, his seat warm for, uh, for Aaron Rodgers. He's won three of his last five. And one of the ones that he lost, he put up 28 points at Pittsburgh. So this is, this is an intriguing game, I think, Sunday, Carolina and Green Bay, whether, uh, you know, whether uh, Rodgers plays or not. 
Taking you around the league with Peter King of the MMQB. Peter, you alluded to Tom Brady. We were just talking about Monday Night Football. What were your takeaways from that game? For whatever reason, Brady and the Patriots have failed to play well on the road in South Florida. That trend continued. Obviously, they didn't have Rob Gronkowski last night. Do you view that game as an aberration? I I think it is. The thing that would worry me most is not the fact that Brady was lousy in the game. Because, look, that's the first. I'd say probably the first lousy game he's had this year. I mean, he's completed more than 70% in seven of his 12 game, first 12 games this year. So I, I wouldn't be that worried about Brady. And I've read a couple of stories today. Hey, is this the end of Brady? It's, it's, it's one game out of 280 in his life. I mean, quarterbacks are allowed to have bad games. Now he puts three of those together, all of a sudden you're worried. But, Brian, I think the biggest problem in that game was protection. And Brady never, ever had a comfortable pocket the entire night. It is amazing because of how mediocre so often the Dolphins have been this year. It just goes to show you that, you know, when you're the defending Super Bowl champion, you're going to get everybody's best shot. And the Patriots usually are able to block those guys up. But last night they weren't able to do so. Let's see what happens you know, in the last three weeks of the season. Because in my opinion, I look at the last three weeks, and obviously you've got the Pittsburgh game, but, you know, they also have Buffalo and the Jets. Nobody likes either of those teams. I'm, sh- I'm fairly sure the Patriots will win them both. But, and this is a very, very big but, if you do not protect Tom Brady, what happened last night could happen any week. Peter, when you look at the last three games the Steelers played, they played against Green Bay, they played against Cincinnati, and they played against the Ravens, all combined by seven points that this team won by. How impressed are you with the way the Steelers are playing now that they don't even have Ryan Shazier in the game? Well, I mean, obviously you have to look at this team right now and you have to say that uh, it's it's one of the oddest seasons that I've seen a great team have. Because, you know, uh, and I'm going off memory by this, but, you know, they beat the Packers in Cincinnati by three, both right at the wire. Uh, They beat the Ravens by one at the wire. Um, You know, what what I found amazing about this team is that you can't beat them, but they have not dominated. Who have they dominated this year? I would say – Maybe Baltimore in that first game and Tennessee. But I think, I mean, every other game they played has been pretty much down to the wire or, or, or a game in the, in the fourth quarter. And I, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to try to figure why. But, but I, I would, you just mentioned the Shazier thing. Andy Benoit of our staff at the MMQB, I think, did a really kind of fascinating study of what we saw in the Sunday night game, uh, Steelers-Ravens. And you know what I saw in that game that was re- that I thought, you know, I, I, of all the things that you missed in that game, Spence for Shazier, I think the, the, the instincts and the speed of Ryan Shazier, you know, because to me, Alex Collins had whatever, 120 rushing yards. I mean, he got a lot of those rushing yards getting to the second level. And if Shazier is playing, I'm not sure he gets to the second level on a lot of those runs. Peter, as always, we appreciate the information. Have a great week, and we look forward to chatting with you again on Sunday on NFL First and Goal on TuneIn Premium. My pleasure, guys. Thanks a lot for having me on. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Long count. Matthews got it. Wants to throw. Looks right. Comes middle. Throws. It is five. Take five. Take two. Take one. Hi, Lions fans. It's me, Tori Petrie. Hey, it's me, Lomas Brown here. We're the hosts of the Tori and Lomas podcast right here on TuneIn. found the angle to the house, and the Lions are right back in it. Tune in on Wednesdays as we break down the Lions' last game and preview the game coming up. We'll see you there. 
This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, we visit with Houston Texans sideline analyst John Harris. John, let's start with that scary sight of Tom Savage going down on Sunday. You're on the sideline, so you had a different perspective. Did you have any sense of the severity of the injury? Because as you know, there's been a lot of talk about how the concussion protocol was handled. Yes, actually, Brian, I did. You know, as a, you know, the, the the good thing for me as a silent reporter is I can go pretty much anywhere I want, with one exception, and that is where the the players actually are from the thirty to the thirty. And so, the ball happened to be back inside the ten yard line, and so I was standing right at the line of scrimmage. So when Tom got hit, I saw it immediately, and I saw what everybody else saw on video later. I saw the hands go up. And so as soon as I saw that, the first, the first person I thought about was Don Beebe because I remember that happening to Don Beebe in a game many, many years ago. And my first thought was, oh, uh, bleep. And about three seconds later, not, not even, he popped right up and ran to the sideline. Now, a lot's been made about, well, the coaches should have seen that. You got to keep in mind where they're calling the place from. He was back at about the forty or forty-five yard line, and he was he was hit behind a group of of linemen. So the bench never saw it. At least the players and coaches where they are. Now there were some doctors to my left, probably about fifteen twenty yards away. But what I think people forget is there's no they didn't put the video up on the video board. And so the only people that could have seen it were the people watching at home to see it on, on replay, which they eventually showed. So Bill O'Brien didn't know that it had happened. Came over to the sideline. The 49ers had a good long drive. They went back out for the next drive. And Coach O'Brien said the second play, he threw a pass out of bounds about 10 yards, and that's when he realized, okay, something, something isn't right. I happened to see it right away, and I was I – was, I was really worried for Tom at that point. But then he popped up right away. And that's what I thought, well, okay, maybe. But that's why you rely on the independent spotter. You rely on the doctors. As a coach, you don't know. You have no idea. As a coach, if you the first, the, the first time you play doctor is the first time you'll get in trouble playing doctor. You let the medical people handle that. That's Bill O'Brien's philosophy. And he was told he's good to go. He can go back in. And so he did. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a tough scene. Um, and I hate it for Tom because it's now happened two years in a row in almost the exact same way where the, the effects of the concussion really were sort of latent. They, they took a few minutes to really kick in. And then when they did, they took him to the locker room and put TJ Yates in as they did last year in Tennessee when they put Brock Osweiler in the game. What's the narrative like there in town or throughout the National Football League and how things were handled with Tom Savage, considering that we had, as you mentioned, we had the opportunity from the television to see him shaking and did pop up and then started doing his thing. Uh, so what are they saying about Bill O'Brien and how he handled it? Are they trying to come down on him and condemn him uh, for mishandling it? Or it's just was one of those things where um, they wasn't really conscious or aware of what really happened other than him being on the ground and seeming as if he was concussed? Well, I think, Cordell, it's, it's an interesting question because I think there are people – that are sort of incredulous saying, well, he had to know. He had to know. Well, how would he know? He's, he's over 70 yards away from the play, and he's shielded by a bunch of players. And if he's not told by the doctors what happened, Bill O'Brien's not pulling out his phone on the sideline and looking at it. But there are still some people, not, not many, it's sort of the narrative has sort of changed in some sense, that being, okay, I can understand that Bill O'Brien maybe didn't see it, but what about, the, what about the medical team? What did they see? Well, I think the biggest key is the independent spotter. What did that, what did that guy see? Now, I've been on the sidelines before where I've been walking by and changing sides where the ball has moved, and I've seen a group of 8 to 10 people on the medical staff and the independent spotter looking at video on the sideline looking to see where an individual got hurt. Now, I don't – I don't know that they needed the video for this one, so I don't know if they ever went to the video, but I've seen them go through this. So the Texas medical staff has, has got a little bit of heat for it, but I think most people have finally kind of honed in on 
the breakdown in the process, and that was why did the independent spotter allow him to go back in the game after taking that kind of hit and then seeing the video, obviously, where he's, he was convulsing and shaking his hands? Why did the independent spotter even allow that to happen at that particular point? Because Tom passed all the concussion tests when they took him in a tent. He passed everything fine. And they were like, okay. And the independent spotter went, yeah, it looks good to me. That's become the narrative now, not so much Bill O'Brien or the medical staff, but what was the independent spotter looking at that he missed it? Going with John Harris, sideline analyst, Texans Radio Network, Texans Team Channel here on TuneIn. John, it feels like every week, unfortunately, we're talking about injuries, and I'm looking for clarity on another front. What can you tell us about tight end C.J. Fedorowicz? There are reports he may retire due to concussions. Well, that would be a, uh, that would be a huge loss for the Texans. It's already been a loss this year. I mean, it's, it's really a lost season, Brian, for C.J., and I hate that because after such a great year in 2016, I will say I was happy for him that he was able to sign his contract, but there's a de-escalator clause in the contract if he has to, uh, if he's released or cut or retires due, well, I guess retires won't matter, uh, due to concussions. And he had three of them within, I mean, he played, I think, three or four games, and he had a concussion in all but about maybe two games, and it's just a shame. So there's been some talk about him not playing. Now, that report was put out there by sources, but then when CJ's agent and CJ were asked about it, CJ's agent said, I, I know nothing of the sort. CJ's doing everything possible that he can do to get back for 2018. He wants to play football again. He is in no way looking to retire. Now, we all know about concussions and the, the after effects, et cetera. So we'll see. I think this is going to be a story that sort of plays out on into the offseason, but from a football perspective, that's where it ends up being a little bit tricky because do you, do you know you're going to have C.J. back? You'd like to think you are, but the Texans sort of thought they were going to get Dwayne Brown back, and they really didn't go out and, and push to go get another tackle to replace him. And then when Dwayne decided to hold out for half a season, they were sort of left holding the bag. So I think they're going to have to be proactive no matter what, looking at the, the, the tight end position, because Ryan Griffin – went on IR this year for concussions as well. So they're going to have to look at that position regardless. But CJ's agent has said CJ is planning to come back in 2018, and I hope he comes back healthy uh, and ready to contribute like he did in 2016. This was the same injury that caused Tom Savage to give his job up to uh, back to Brock Osweiler last year, and now he's giving it up to TJ Yates uh, now this year. Tell me, when watching TJ Yates and how he played, how impressed were you? Have you seen this from him before? Do you have an idea that, you know, that's the most you can get from him? And, and, and when you move forward into the future, who's going to be Deshaun Watson's backup? Tom Savage, TJ Yates. What do you think they'll go from here with that? Cordell, it's an interesting question. The thing about it is TJ's never been a full-time starter. But he's sort of a cult hero here in Houston because as a rookie, the Texans playing very well. He went to Cincinnati and beat Cincinnati, had a big scramble, and then a throw for a touchdown with two seconds left that gave the Texans their first division title. In 2015, he came back um, after being away for a year, came back because of uh, Ryan Mallett being uh, released, and they needed a quarterback to do the system. They went to TJ, and on a Monday night, he, uh, Brian Hoyer went down with a concussion. TJ had to go in. He'd been back all two weeks, and then brought the Texans back from behind against Cincinnati in 2015. And so he came back in 2017, and everybody was really excited about it. The, the one thing that was a little bit cumbersome and has been difficult for TJ is his wife gave birth to a, premature, uh, a child prematurely about 10 weeks. And so when he first got here, uh, in fact, to get him here, they called him, and he was in the NICU with his wife, and he really didn't know whether he wanted to go or not. And his wife said, you go. And so he's sort of been here with all that kind of hanging over his head, so – I felt like, given the circumstances, he came in and gave them a jolt. And then, then he kind of missed a couple of throws, and the defense didn't get its job done, and they ended up losing 26-16. to 16. That said, I think with a full week to prepare as the guy, I don't think T.J. Yates is going in there scared whatsoever of Jacksonville because I think most teams end up being scared of that defense. It's outstanding. I think T.J. is going to go in there. He's going to let it fly. He's going to make a few plays. And going forward, I wouldn't be surprised 
as you mentioned, Cordell, if T.J. Yates is the guy that backs up Deshaun, T.J. was the guy who helped Deshaun learn the offense this summer. They worked out together, and he helped Deshaun learn the offense. So T.J. would fit, I think, a little bit more for what they're doing with Deshaun. So going forward, T.J. makes some sense. But we'll see with Tom. He's Unfortunately, this was a contract year. So he'll be a free agent at the end of the year. So I think it'll be an interesting decision between T.J. and Tom. But T.J. fits a little bit more what they were doing with Deshaun. So maybe that's the way they end up going. These last three games could be a deciding factor in that. John, great information as always. We'll chat with you next week after the Jaguar game. Be mindful on the sideline in Jacksonville because as we found out on Sunday in that game against Seattle, apparently Jaguar fans are getting a little chippy down there. I lived in Duval County for seven years, Brian. I know all of them. I know exactly. I am wearing a special helmet on Sunday for sure. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. The 11th Hour with Brian Williams. Tomorrow's headlines before they go to print. I've just been handed some great reporting. Tomorrow's questions before anyone's asked them. Could you make an obstruction case? Tomorrow's conversation tonight. Who is there to stand up to the boss and speak truth to power? Not a single person. The 11th Hour with Brian Williams. More than the day that was, it's the day that will be. Weeknights at 11 Eastern on MSNBC. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's focus on America's team with Mickey Spagnola from DallasCowboys.com. Mickey, I know Cordell wants to talk to you about Dak Prescott, so I'm going to start on D. How important was it for Sean Lee to come back from his hamstring injury and play well in that pivotal win over the Giants? Yeah, it sure made a difference in uh, the way they played defense, didn't it? Uh, he just means so much. And I understand, uh, you know, the little saying about next man up and people have injuries. But uh, I think everybody can see that the next man up is probably not going to be Sean Lee. He ends up with 18 tackles, uh, tackle for a loss, which was a huge tackle for a loss. Thought it changed the momentum of the game when he dropped the end around for uh, an eight-yard loss. Uh, has a pass defense. I mean, he was just all over the place. And, uh, you know, that's the Sean Lee uh, that shows up now that when he's played in uh, the seven games that he's played in this year, the Cowboys are 6-1. and one. So he makes a significant difference on not only how well the defense plays, but how well they're organized and how well he kind of tips people off of what's coming and what's not. Mickey, we could run off a multitude of stats uh, that we end up seeing Dak Prescott ending up with, but one that I don't think is talked about enough is zero sacks in this last game after the interchanging of this offensive line, particularly at the tackle position on the backside. How big is that for this team moving forward? You know, Cordell, I'm glad you brought that up because everybody keeps asking, well, what's changed? Dak's getting better. I said, no, his protection's getting better. Uh, you know, th- during that three-game losing streak, you know, he was sacked 14 times. Think about that. And now in this two-game winning streak, he's been sacked once. Uh, the protection has been so much better. And the reason it's been better is they've gotten healthier. Tyron Smith is back on his feet after missing a couple games. Uh, and he's played better. You know, for a period there, the one game, uh, they lost Zach Martin with the, with the concussion uh, for a half of the game. And so you don't have uh, Tyron Smith in there. You don't have Zach in there. Uh, and then you have Lael Collins trying to play through a back uh, problem. Uh, the, the offensive line was struggling. But I think with Tyron back, Zach back, and, and give Lael Collins a lot of credit because, you know, for the last two weeks he hasn't practiced. They've trying to get his back to calm down. But he's gone out and played and played well at right tackle. So I think – the, you know, this is Dak's improvement that everybody wants to say is happening now that he understands how to play without Zeke. Look, I think he understood how to play without Zeke, but he wasn't getting the protection. And the Cowboys did a much better job of blunting those uh, Giants' blitzes, and they made them pay for blitzing by not getting to him. And that's what you have to do. You know that. That's the way you stop blitzing. You beat it. You beat them with big plays, and they did it repeatedly there uh, in that game. 
Chatting with Mickey Spagnola, DallasCowboys.com, and the Cowboys team channel here on TuneIn. Mickey, it's the time of the year we run through playoff scenarios. If the Cowboys are able to win their final three games of the season, that starts with Sunday Night Football against the Raiders. Do you think that's potentially enough to grab a wild card, or are they going to need some help? Well, I think they're going to need some help, but if you look at the other teams in, that are kind of in that wild card uh, race, uh, there's some losses going to happen because they're playing each other in their divisions, uh, and, and somebody's got to start losing. Uh, so I think if the Cowboys can get to 10, my guess is they're going to get into uh, you know a tiebreaker. And my guess is you know everybody's saying well they're not going to win a tiebreaker because they lost to this team, this team, and this team. My guess is if we look how jumbled it is right now at three to go, it may be a three-way tiebreaker. It might be just for the last spot. And in a three-way tiebreaker, if the teams haven't played each other, then you move to the next uh, step. And, and so as long as they're not in a, t- a three-way tiebreaker with, like, Atlanta or Green Bay, uh, then, you know, th- th- they've got a chance. Their, their conference record's going to be as good as everyone else's. Uh, but if it gets past that one, I was looking today, and if it goes down to uh, strength of victory, uh, I think it goes to common opponents and then strength of victory. So common opponents, it's too hard to figure out now with the amount of games that are left. Strength of victory, theirs is not very strong, and that's why uh, they're sitting there in 10th right now uh, for that final uh, two wild card uh, spots. So we'll see where it goes, but I think that they've handled this very well by just saying, hey, we just got to go 1-0 and this week. Uh, they've reduced the, the the magnitude of the of the goal of winning five straight. Now you just have to win three straight. Uh, and I think as long as they look at it like that, uh, then I think they don't get overwhelmed by the, uh, having to run the table that they needed to with five games to go. If I'm correct, I think I've seen so far that on their on their schedule they have 11 NFC games. They lost four so far, and they have two of the last three in front of them to, to hopefully obtain a chance uh, or get a chance to get into the dance. Is this team good enough, you think, with what they're doing right now, now that Sean Lee is back? Uh, you think they're good enough uh, to be able to make a run if they get into the postseason and win probably their first game under Dak Prescott in the postseason? Well, let me add one to that. They get through this game, Ezekiel Elliott's back. Uh-oh. And, and that's huge, too. And, and I think that uh, you might look at this team as pretty dangerous if, if Sean Lee's on the field, the offensive line's healthy, and Ezekiel Elliott's back on the field. And, and I understand they've run the ball decently uh, over the last couple games, but it's still not the same uh, as if Zeke was in there. He runs for touchdowns, and I know Rod Smith finally ran for one. They ran for a 15-yard touchdown. It might be the only one they've run from distance uh, since Zeke's been out. So uh, that's what they missed, they, and they missed the threat. Now, I don't know, Cordell, if you can see this or not, but it just seems to me that once Zeke went out, boy, teams start blitzing. It's almost like they don't care if they get caught on a run while they were blitzing the quarterback because they don't think these running backs can go the distance. I think they played a little bit more conservatively when Zeke's out there because they know if they throw one into the flat when you're blitzing, chances are you know, there's a good chance he may just go 70 yards on you. Uh, so I think that will have an effect, too, uh, just his presence on the field. Not only what he can do, but his presence on the field, I think, is a deterrent to a lot of that blitzing. Finally, Mickey, Pro Bowl balloting by fans ends on Thursday, just a couple days from now. Who on the Cowboys do you think is most deserving of a trip to Orlando? If we're thinking about defense, Demarcus Lawrence has been sensational. Yeah, I think he's, a, I think he's probably an automatic uh, I don't know if people will consider Sean Lee uh, just because of the number of games he's he's missed this season. But I think if you look at what he did has done when he's on the field and what he did when he came back, uh, certainly I think he's a guy that the you know you would consider. I don't know what's going to happen with the offensive line because I don't know that it played as well as a group together. Uh, but I think we've seen how important Tyron Smith is to be out there. Uh, probably Travis Frederick, I think you would look at that. And this one's not going to happen, but it's very deserving. Their punter, Chris Jones, has been awfully, awfully good. If, if you look at, uh, you know, if, if, if people can get past 
what the the average he, he has for yards punting or the net average and look at what he's done with with the ones downed inside uh, the 20 I think he's second with 29 and if you look at where he's at with the return yardage on punts teams haven't even returned for 100 yards against him uh, in the in the 13 games they've played uh, so he's done a fabulous job but I think he should be considered, but I, I know how this voting goes and I know how teams do it, especially when they get to special teams. They just kind of look at the numbers and go, okay, that guy's got the biggest average. We'll vote for him. But if you're looking for uh, kind of the team's most valuable player uh, on special teams, I think it's Chris Jones. Mickey, as always, we appreciate the insights. Enjoy Sunday Night Football on the road in Oakland. We'll chat with you next week again on the NFL on TuneIn. Sounds good. Look forward to talking to you guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Let's say all you want to do is listen to a little sports talk on TuneIn, but all you hear is a lot of noise with Bose QC35 wireless headphones, too. You just flip a switch, and suddenly the sports talk comes through loud and clear. Bose QC35s are engineered with world-class noise cancellation, hassle-free wireless technology, up to 20 hours of battery life. Lose the noise, lose the wires, lose yourself in sports talk. Visit Bose.com slash no huddle to experience Bose QC35 headphones 2 today. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, it's time to provide the fantasy fix. Fantasy football has become a major reality for millions of fans. Makes him off to the 30. He's gone. He's gone. What a move. It takes skill to win your fantasy championship, separating the zeros. He goes to the near side, and it's picked up. From the fantasy heroes. Down the middle, it's caught over the shoulder in the end zone. Buckle up your chin strap for the fantasy fix. Today, we're pleased to be joined by a great friend of the program, Michael Harmon, SwollenDome.com. Mike, let's start with the fallout from Monday Night Football. You always have a good sense of the metrics. Was Kenyon Drake in a lot of fantasy lineups last night? He should have been. He was absolutely sensational. Would have been as a back-end number two in a lot of leagues, maybe just a flex play for some, fearful that you wouldn't have the big break-off runs like we'd seen and certainly getting near to 200 total yards uh, a bit unanticipated. But the Patriots, one of the things that they'd hung their hat on for the last eight weeks during that winning streak was holding opponents to under 20 points per game. Instead, we saw shades of the team that was out there for the first month of the season. A lot of wide-open wide receivers. Jake Cutler looking like he's on his way to get himself a gold jacket. Uh, instead, uh, you know, Tom Brady and others disappoint, but Kenyon Drake uh, certainly making his case as the feature man for next year. Mike, losing um, Carson Wentz this past weekend was a big loss for the league, but most importantly, a big loss for the Philadelphia Eagles. But how does the value of the receivers and running backs change with Nick Foles instead of having Carson Wentz in the game? Uh, I think we're going to have to uh, assume that we see more of the running backs trying to take the Take the onus on them, but you know when we've seen Nick Foles in longer stretches has has a willingness to put the ball up downfield. So I wouldn't run away from him as many are going to be want to do. You know the average ranking uh, early in the week against the Giants for the matchup coming up. He's down in that low end second quarterback, 22 to 24 in the ranks. I think I'm going to take him over anything I've seen out of Carr or Mariota or recently Alex Smith for most of the last month plus that I'll take my shot with him over those um, would-be fantasy stars based on the the different level that I have here. And obviously part of that is going to be uh, contingent on Ertz being available, although Trey Burton uh, acquitted himself quite nicely this past week. But I'd expect more of the running game uh, to come front and center, so more Ajayi, more of LeGarrette Blunt to try to set and balance things. So I think they creep up a little bit in the running back rankings along the way. Mike, you know success in fantasy football isn't blind luck. It's three-dimensional chess. You're thinking two moves ahead. So let me give you some of the factors for the Falcons. They play on a Monday. A lot of fantasy owners like to have that game in their hip pocket. If we're looking at the running back situation with Tevin Coleman banged up and the play calling a bit erratic, what are you doing with Devontae Freeman on Monday night? 
top ten play. Uh, we're going to assume you know he's been running violently. He's been you know been more aggressive, and that was one of the things we we've seen the last couple of weeks. And his opportunities, good opportunity this week going up against uh, a pretty bad Tampa Bay defense uh, along the way. And we look at them over the past uh, four weeks eighth most fantasy points per game allowed to running backs and if Freeman's going to be the guy running the ball and one would say uh, just keep sending tapes of a couple of drives uh, to the team facility to remind them of exactly what they have uh, in Mr. Freeman's capabilities but certainly top 10 play uh, for this week and the two guys I trust most are Freeman and Mohamed Sanu week in week out their numbers are always there. Josh Gordon, Josh Gordon's been gone for some time, and as soon as he comes back, he's never covered. Uh, but with that, how does that value um, for Corey Coleman? How is that affected? Well, for Coleman, it drifted him down into the you know far end of the third wide receivers and even fourth because the target count certainly isn't there with consistency for this week against Baltimore. Uh, certainly something that uh, a matchup that doesn't leave you wanting uh, to rush too many guys into the lineup. For Gordon, he's a back end number two. Uh, not a monster game in terms of catches and, and such, although he looked good with the shades on on the sideline. Uh, probably engaging in Twitter wars, not what he wants to do as he tries to you know get back into the good graces of the league and the fans and everybody else, but hey, it's good for us uh, in the media. Uh, but for this week going up against Baltimore, always you look at Jimmy Smith's not there, and you can go up and over the top against that defense right now. So I expect to see some shots taken, but I don't know if in the fantasy playoffs that I'm willing to gamble too much on Kaiser hitting a bunch of those. So uh, you proceed with caution, I think is the easiest way to say it. And Mike, talking about the sunglasses, you think I'm going to go, I wear my sunglasses at night. I'm going to go 1987, <laughs> Tim Buck 3. My future's so bright, I got to wear shades. My man. Very nice. I, I really thought you were going to go to Rowdy Rowdy Piper uh, in They Live. <laughs> A John Carpenter reference as we that? talk fantasy football with Michael Harmon, SwollenDome.com. Mike, what are we doing with Russell Wilson? This seems like a simplistic question. It's the semifinals, but take me back to a week ago. Yes, he had some big plays, but that was also balanced out with three costly interceptions. Yes, it will. Uh, they they will be the great equalizer. But then, uh, on on average, right, you're getting two or three points per touchdown more than the the picks. A lot of leagues have reduced that to a, a menial uh, no, minus one along the way. Uh, but going up against the Rams, you you've got opportunity. We saw it this past week. They'll get into shootouts for Wilson. He's a top three play, uh, and that's including. Drew Brees against the Jets, assuming the defense is going to give him prime field position uh, as they tear apart Bryce Petty uh, time and time again. You've got Cam Newton against the Packers, Russell Wilson right in there as well with Tom Brady, assuming they connect on more of those deep balls that were uh, just near misses and confusing last night. When you look at the New Orleans Saints, they've been having a tremendous amount of success because of the backfield, which is something we hadn't seen in forever since Drew Brees has gotten there. But with Alvin Kamara uh, possibly, possibly, possibly still out with the concussion this week, uh, what is the value of Mark Ingram uh, with a toe injury? Well, we, we go top five based on, on opportunity because I'll, I'll assume, at least to this point in the week, that he's going to be able to gut through it uh, and give you a full effort along the way. Now, you look at the Jets against opposing running backs, top 10 uh, in terms of fantasy points allowed per game over the last month. Why? Because, well, teams are throwing on them uh, and calling out on Buster Screen whenever they can. I just wanted to get Buster Screen's name uh, into the show today. So uh, there you go. I, I'm the big winner. Mission accomplished. Uh, but, yeah, thanks, man. Uh, so I'm going to take Mark Ingram. We're going to we're going to slot him in in the six hole just ahead of Jordan Howard. Uh, Kamara will take as a back end number one, right? Where Kenyon Drake uh, and Kareem Hunt are for this week, uh, and look for for more plays. And obviously, we'll keep an eye on his status as the week rolls on, and perhaps he bounces a slot or two in the rankings. But certainly, that one two punch playing some defense, good old fashioned uh, formula for winning football. Doesn't need Drew Brees to play pinball numbers slow it down, and just play winning football. For our listeners who are still alive with the semifinals kicking off Thursday Night Football, Denver and Indy, not a glamour matchup, but hugely important in fantasy football. What's the outlook for Eugene T.Y. Hilton? Oh, good old T.Y. Hilton, one of the most uh, oh, perplexing and underused player. I mean, it just seems like he should have a bunch of three- to five-yard 
just get the ball in his hands and let him run instead of trying to work downfield. Against Denver, against these corners, it's a no-go. He's no better than a mid-third wide receiver in that 32 to 34 range uh, for this week. Better options include D.D. Westbrook against the Houston Texans with Blake Bortles on a resurgence. Smith Schuster back off his suspension. I know he was game-ready sitting in his living room with his helmet on. Uh, He'll be back. Uh, Marquise Lee in that same game going against Houston are better options uh, than T.Y. this week. Mike, as always, we value the information. We believe in Cordell's favorite word on this program, transparency. So let me be, i got to say this slowly, the ombudsperson. I got it out of tune-in. How many leagues did you play in this year, and how did you do? Uh, I've played in three, and I am officially done after the Tom Brady, Amari Cooper and yeah, no, no, no. I lost two tiebreakers for uh, final playoff spots, so the playoffs would have been starting this week. And then I got shellacked in an IDP league, uh, losing Shazir uh, a week ago. Certainly took away one of my biggest uh, point contributors defensively. Um, not that that matters in the grand scheme of things, quite obviously. Uh, but Alvin Kamara, Tom Brady, and Amari Cooper uh, conspired against me in grand fashion. And now there's an investigation in Brady and his hatred of fantasy football seeing as he comes up with a dud in most round ones year after year. Cordell, you know I'm harsh, and Mike and I have been friends since 2006. I'm going to say he's a loser. If you don't win it all, it's not good enough in my world. How would you sum up Mike's year? You're not first or last. That's right. No, I agree. I agree. It was a a bad year. Uh, I, I blame nobody but myself. Uh, historically, I would have blamed Lovey Smith or uh, Mark Tressman, <laughs> but for this year, I'm going to take the onus on myself. Maybe it was the dying of the hair. The guy I couldn't get the guys to buy in in the locker room. I don't know. Well, I don't have to answer. He answered it already. He's, he's taking. Oh, well, you on the go show. ahead. You know, you can you can curse me. Pile on. No, I, Add I to the misery. That. I won't do that. You've, you've beaten yourself up enough. I'll let you have that one. I'll let you. Oh, know. I've just begun. Are you kidding? I'll, I'll do more of it later <laughs> on tonight. Just I yell for three hours. So Welcome to the terror. going, you know. Mike, let me end on a high note. And you guys like when I talk about how arrogant I was. I have mellowed out was? in my mid forties. <laughs> Past that, nineteen eighty-seven. I'm going to Catholic school. And this is going to sound like a humble brag, but it's not. This is me being arrogant. I got into Notre Dame. Catholic school is the background. I turned it down because I got into Stanford off the wait list. One priest was not happy. He told me I took a spot from somebody who would have gone to Notre Dame. I said, okay, thanks, pal. So it's my last final. I decide to do it in 20 minutes because I've already got the A in my hip pocket. If I get an F, I don't care. I'm going to Stanford. And I write on the top of the blue book, my future so bright, I got to wear shades. And I tossed it at him as I walked out the door. You like that one? That's something I could see you doing uh, today, <laughs> maybe tomorrow. <laughs> it's brilliant. 1987. I no, I, I fully applaud that move. Thank you, And Mike. if you God walked out you. yelling with a woo or some other <laughs> wrestling uh, analogy, it would have been great. And I put on my Josh Gordon shades. Michael, you thank like you. Now? You're the best. We'll chat with you soon. Peace and love. The gentlemen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in your everything audio app.